So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Good morning and welcome back uh, to another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, hosting your show today. I'm located here in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609 716 Four seven zero zero. Um, this week we're very pleased to have with us a very special guest, uh, Keith Hovey of counsel in the firm's personal uh, of Schaeferman's personal injury and commercial litigation groups. Um, is also in the personal injury practice. Keith represents and counsels clients in litigation involving serious accidents, nursing home negligence, product liability, and unsafe uh, premises. In addition, he uh, represents healthcare professionals in disciplinary. Matters before the New Jersey Professional Boards. Prior to law school, uh, Keith worked as a registered nurse uh, in the cardiothoracic thoracic, uh, intensive care unit uh, at Tufts uh, New England Medical Center in Boston. His nursing uh, experience provides a unique perspective on health care issues, allowing him to better serve clients. In commercial litigation, Keith handles a variety of business-related disputes involving breach of contract claims, real estate, construction, employment issues, restrictive covenants, uh, civil rights, and government compliance of both state and federal courts. Um, he's been listed among uh, 2016, 17, and 18 best lawyers in America for commercial litigation and as a super lawyer's rising star each year from 2011 through 16 for both business litigation and appellate law. Uh, he's a board member of the administrative law section of the New Jersey State Bar, uh, the Region 4 Vice President for Policy and Practice of New Jersey State Nurses Association, and an active member of the American Association of Nurse Attorneys. Uh, he's also an uh, under, his undergraduate degree uh, cum laude from Case Western Reserve University. Uh, FPB School of Nursing uh, for his Juris Doctorate, cum laude from uh, Seton Hall University and Law School. And so, Keith, we're going to talk about something I think is really important. I mean, a lot of us baby boomers are getting ready for retirement, or we have parents that may be already in retirement, uh, and they may be in uh, these different facilities that are out there for long-term care or um, uh, and so forth. And, and sometimes... Um, things don't go exactly as planned. So we want to talk a little bit about some of the things that may be going on um, in these different facilities that we enter. We may enter ourselves or a loved one may enter. Um, and then maybe some things that we could possibly do about that. Cause you have a very unique perspective. You have the nursing background as well as the, the, the law background, which I think is a great combination. So you can really kind of speak to, you know, like what kind of things are going on there from a nursing perspective. And then from a legal perspective, you know, how should maybe we handle some of these different issues. Well, Kurt, thank you very much for having me uh, here today. Uh, like to talk a little bit about sort of some of the statistics we have dealing with uh, our aging population in the United States to sort of put into context both the type of work I do and some of the issues that we are seeing uh, in the litigation side of things with respect to um, medical malpractice, but more importantly, nursing home abuse and neglect cases. 
Right. So uh, currently, the population over the age of 65 in the U.S. is about 49 to 50 million. Uh, that number is expected to increase approximately 40 percent to roughly 70 million people by the year 2030. That means uh, in the United States, one in five Americans will be over the age of 65. Right. That's 20 percent. Now, also think about the number of healthcare providers who are in the United States to actually care for these individuals. And what we are talking about is geriatric care. Well, if we look at registered nurses, we have a little over 3 million uh, currently licensed in the United States. Well, that number uh, is expected to decrease by about a million. Oh, decrease. Right? Decrease. So we are going to oh, see boy. fewer nurses right over uh the next five to six years as baby boomers right start to retire because any, any thoughts about why that's happening why we're losing so many nurses that's a lot so the, the yeah the the wisdom uh you know by nurse historians is that given the baby boom generation that predominantly when women were growing up uh you know post world war ii baby boom generation the options for career paths were secretaries teachers and nurses right medical school law uh, law school engineering programs uh, generally were not considered viable career paths for many women until some of the civil rights um, movement of the 1960s where women started to get more opportunities both mm -hmm. uh, in the workplace and uh, educational opportunities. So what we've seen from a trend with respect to nursing is that women who typically would have gone to nursing school now find themselves in other science areas, right? They're getting PhDs in biology. They're going to medical school instead of going to, to nursing school. Uh, so they're pursuing other opportunities. Men, however, have not filled that void in nursing. The statistics as to the number percentage of men in nursing has remained fairly constant uh, over the last 60 or so years. So what you now see is those the women or the you know the majority of nurses who are women are now getting to retirement age. There hasn't been additional nurses coming in to uh, fill those gaps. Is, is and, anything being done to try to turn that trend? I mean, that sounds like a dangerous trend. At some point, we'll have no nurses. Well, that right. I'm just curious. I know we have other things to talk about, but no, that concerns me a little bit. So one of the issues that that uh, that has arisen is not only the fact that you have bedside nurses retiring it's also uh, a trend in nursing which is different than in other disciplines other disciplines the average age of nurse uh, of professionals getting a PhD and then going into teaching right it is uh, in your early 30s right mm -hmm. because you figure uh, you graduate you get into a PhD or maybe you work for a couple of years do some research then you go into uh, some sort of PhD program and uh, you're in that program for seven to ten years before you become faculty and and, uh, and pursue a tenure track right that becomes your career path is to teach within the discipline nurses place a great emphasis on bedside experience and being predominantly women uh, a number of sidetracks occur, which is marriage, family, working part-time, 
and then the costs associated with obtaining a PhD or a nursing doctorate to obtain those advanced practice degrees to be able to teach in the um, at the university level uh, or even at the community college level. Uh, the amount of time, the average age for the PhD graduate in nursing is 43, right? So if you then look at the life expectancy you would have for a nurse as a faculty member, right, it is shorter than you would an engineer or some of the, you know, um, liberal arts disciplines. So you've now taken a field that is already shrinking, and then taking the group that would be willing to go on and get higher education, and you're making that even smaller. What becomes even more problematic is to the extent that there's an economic impact on nurses is that you have this scenario where you could make more money working as a nurse anesthetist, mm -hmm. right, doing anesthesia, working as an advanced practice nurse in family practice or in some other subspecialty, and you'd be making more money than you would if you taught as uh, faculty at most uh, colleges uh, and universities. So you would be spending more money as a nurse to get more education to then ultimately make less once you're in the workforce. Do, do you see this trend turning around anyway? Do you see any, are there any suggestions out there on what, like maybe what they're trying to do to turn it a little bit? I, I mean, that's my concern. There's some solutions to the issue. That sounds like a pretty big problem to overcome. So uh, the uh, New Jersey legislature actually had uh, hearings uh, about five years ago and entered into a partnership with Rutgers, where what they were doing because of the faculty shortage in nursing is they were paying for nurses to get their PhD, provided they entered into an, a contractual agreement whereby they would then agree to teach at a nursing school in New Jersey. And that is really one of the only um, incentives, right, is that's attacking the issue at its heart, which is if it's not economically viable for nurses to get the additional education necessary to teach future nurses, then we're going to continue to have a faculty shortage. And that is a trend nationwide in that there are some schools that are unable to uh, accept students, not because the students aren't qualified, it's because they don't have the faculty. So you have this influx where some places you don't have enough faculty to accept the students, and then in other places, right, you don't have enough people wanting to go into nursing because they have other opportunities. Okay. Well, yeah, that sounds great. I know we got a little off the track there, but we're going to definitely get into um, what we need to do about the geriatric care and some of the issues that are occurring. We come back for the break. But yeah, the nursing shortage trend and the fact that I think it sounds like they're trying to make some uh, a difference and turn this around by giving incentives back to uh, the nurses to go into the career, you know, and teach uh, the, um, the career path and hopefully help to streamline because we are going to need nurses. They're a critical part of um, the profession as far as taking care of us uh, at all levels, so, so to speak. But we'll be right back in a few minutes to talk a little bit more about uh, what what we need to do as far as the nursing home issues is concerned. 
This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with the Keith Hovey of Schaeferman, and uh, he's a nurse uh, as well as an attorney, and uh, he's telling, talking, taking us through some of the information as far as what's going on uh, with, our, with us as we age as a population. And so he had some kind of disturbing stats that we're going to increase uh, by 40% the number of people over 65 between now and 2030, up to about 70 million. In the meantime, we're also going to lose about 50% of our nurses, uh, down from 3 million to about 2 million. And he was explaining a little bit about, about some of the th- uh, things they're trying to do to help with that and turn it to give incentives back to people in the profession to go back in academia to help uh, train the new nurses that are coming out. Uh, but now we'll get kind of get back to our main topic here, which is, okay, hopefully we have enough nurses to help us out here. But there's a lot of issues that go on uh, when people are elderly and go into the different facilities. So can you, I guess, tell us like what's going on out there? And then maybe we'll talk a little bit later about what we can do about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, as the baby boomer generation has aged, what we've now seen is this outward growth of different options that people have as they age, right? Uh, there's uh, sort of three phases that people talk about when it comes to retirement, right? There's the go, go, go. Uh, then there's the you know, go slow and then the no go, right? The go, go, go everyone's familiar with, right? You're, you're retiring hopefully enough where you still have a lot of energy and the opportunity to do things. So you're going out with friends, you're going on trips that you never got to take before, right? And, and you're sort of spending hopefully that, you know, that nest egg to some trip extent. Trip around the world, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> See the uh, world. And, um, and now, after that phase, you start to sort of age starts to catch up with you, right? And as that happens, whether it's your own um, you know, health or the declining health of a spouse, right? You're starting to stay more localized, right? You're you're doing things, but you're more uh, regimented. You have your routine. You're not sort of going to spend you know uh, ten hours on a plane going to you know the um, you know. Uh, you know the Pacific, right? I'm not you're, too thrilled you're, about that either, right. by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, and then you have your your no go phase, right? And as your no go phase is, you know, because of limitations and age, you're just no longer able to to travel. And uh, you know, through this process, we've taken uh, what used to be the old system of. Uh, you would sort of consider it like the tenement house, right? The three floors, and then the family would always stay in the house, and you would just sort of move between the levels, right? Depending right. on the age of the oldest people, where the family was, and then where the young kids were starting out, and you just sort of move within the house, and you always took care of each other, right? right? You, you took care of your parents within the home. Mm-hmm. And now, with globalization, moving jobs, uh, more opportunities, Uh, And just people wanting general independence, uh, we've now created this sort of alternate options, which are things like assisted living facilities, right? That's a common term that people understand. So before, where it was 
you know, the sort of the family taking care of it. And then it became the family taking care of the elderly to putting mom or dad in a nursing home, which no one ever said, right, they wanted to be in, right? They always sort of, the old adage, you know, at least in my family was, well, if I get to that phase, you know, don't put me there, right? right. Like, uh, oh, yeah. and because we like have- a death wish. <laughs> right, it's a preconceived, right? That's where you go to sort of wait to die, right? right? And, right. and we've had then, from the nursing home, sort of that has changed with this concept of uh, assisted living facilities, right? Senior centers where we have these sort active of living, active, right? More, more active, right? Fifty-five right. and over mm-hmm. communities, right? right. The area, uh, this housing where people then have opportunities that they didn't have before, because now we're sort of uh, aggregating people of the same age group in their senior years, mm-hmm. and they can do those things that they want to do on that go 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 phase with other people, right? Uh, so but what we also see then is as we age that because there's more need for health care and as that continuum where they need more health care as they get older, right, uh, we are starting to see because of the lack of uh, skilled nursing uh, facilities uh, in, in the sense of uh individuals looking to go into geriatrics, Mm -hmm. right? Geriatrics from a physician standpoint, even from a nursing standpoint, they are not the sexy disciplines, right? No one has a show on Thursday night that's ranked (laughs) number one about medicine in a skilled nursing facility. It sounds like a lot of work to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I envision it as a lot of work. And it is. And that's why one of the things we want to talk about is, you know, when I... When a case comes to me, it means something has gone wrong in the process, mm-hmm. right? Someone has had an, uh, a poor outcome in an assisted living or long-term skilled facility, right? Otherwise known as a nursing home. Right. So is that mostly what you see? or do you see also, except we, we, A lot of people want to stay home, too. It's like in-home care, right? So people come, right. like they prefer to stay home. So is that also an issue or is it... Because those are kind of three phases I think about. You're in-home, assisted living, and then you have kind of a long-term care, like nursing home type situation. So the majority of the cases that I see in my practice are individuals in the long-term skilled nursing facilities. So the more of a, it's almost like the more of a decline you are personally, the more likely you are these types of issues are going to happen, I guess? Correct. Because I'm, I'm less likely to speak out, right? I may right. be in a condition where I can't tell people what's going on. I don't like it, right? Right. Right, I, okay. And, and that, also, that makes sense. And the reality is, right, so another statistic, right? One in 10 seniors are abused each year. One right? in 10. One oh in goodness. 10. I would even say that that number is... Low. I think the number is probably much higher when you factor into the cognitive issues that elderly people face and the inability to report abuse and neglect that they're experiencing. So what kind of just overall, what do they consider like abuse? Is it like forgetting to change their bed sheets? Or I mean, what, what kind of level, what raises to the level of kind of, I mean, you don't have to get too graphic about right. it, but I'm just kind of the general areas that we think about. It's like leaving somebody in a room too long, like not visiting them. Is that not, I mean, is it not talking to them or is it, and then of course there's other things where they're actually doing abuse, right? Right. Right. So the easiest way to think of, yeah. the easiest way to think about abuse is anything that affects an individual's human dignity, right? Okay. And we categorize these in different ways, which is we have uh, obvious forms of abuse would be physical abuse, whether it be an assault, uh, sexual abuse. Uh, we have neglect, which is very common form. There's emotional, verbal abuse. 
Uh, and there's also financial abuse, where you know a nurse's aide convinces an individual who has cognitive issues to give them uh, money or turn over assets, or all of a sudden yeah, that be- happens a lot. I hear about that from my perspective. That's unfortunate because people's cognitive ability drops, and they're less likely to respond to you know fraud, and so they don't they don't really they don't catch it quick enough. Right, and, and so they're not as cognitively capable, and so it's much easier, unfortunately. From the other, to, for this to happen to older people, people that might have never had it happen 20 years early, right. all of a sudden they're more susceptible to these things. Absolutely, yeah. right? And it, and this is where you know the the one of the best defenses uh, to abuse and neglect is family involvement, bar none, right? The ability of family, uh, different individuals to come in, drop in from time to time, unexpected times, call at unexpected times, right? They're your family member, and your ability to check up and be there in person is the best defense and to ensure that your loved one is getting adequate care. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to check in other than by way of a phone call or even Skype, right, when you're in California and your family member's in New Jersey. So uh, not that there are other options, uh, you know, the ability to hire a healthcare professional to come in and occasionally, you know, just visit with your family member. Skyping. Uh, there's a program now through the state of New Jersey that was implemented this last, uh, this past year called uh, Safe Care Cam, right, where you can go to uh, the uh, Division of Consumer Affairs and you can request uh, a camera that be placed in the facility in your loved one. Uh, and they've been able to identify abuse uh, by aides, nurses, by, by staff uh, as a result of you know, that monitoring system. But again, I come back to the best defense right. is family and family being active. There's no reason a family member shouldn't be able to participate, and I would actually encourage them, this is the nurse side of me coming in, mm-hmm. to help bathe your family member. Right. Right? I mean, it, it, it's not sexy. It, it, it sounds, you know, people might be skeeved out realize that the only way you're going to know what the backside of your family member or what their wound looks like if they have a wound or um, how good their skin integrity is, right, is if you're helping with the turning, right? And I'm not saying you have to be there every two hours. And I'm not saying you have to be there for every bath. But if you know your family has a wound and you've been told that they have one on their backside, you might want to be there when the bath happens. And you might even want to ask if you can help assist because one, they love the extra assistance. If they don't, that should raise a red flag. Right, right. But if they do, then you get to see it for yourself, right? And you get to at least then have an idea and you get to ask questions, right? The squeaky wheel, right, gets the oil. And when you're dealing with nursing homes where you have staffing issues, maybe one or two LPNs and a nurse or a couple aides and a nurse overseeing, you know, 20 to 30 patients sometimes, right? There isn't this plethora of hands to be able to constantly be turning and taking care of your family members. So if you're there, you're that extra set of hands. But more importantly, you're the extra set of eyes to make sure your family members getting the care they deserve. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you bring up some excellent points. And yeah, any medical situation, especially uh, as we get age, is is family involvement is critical. And and you mentioned some other techniques like Skyping in or having somebody else come in. Physical presence, I think, is one of the key things that is here. And even getting involved in some of the care um, also can help and also can give you kind of two things. One, the person likes it. Two, you're going to see what's actually going on. And you'll be able to analyze and ask questions about asking questions is always a great idea. And just human nature, we're going to respond more to the person who has more family involvement. 
development, I think, as a professional as well. So we'll be we're back in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more about some of the things that we can do to make our uh, later years a little bit more pleasant. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with Keith Hovey of uh, Schaeferman. And uh, he's a nurse practitioner, as well, a registered nurse, as well as an attorney. Uh, make sure I give him the right, le- right, right grade <laughs> level here. I'm being a military background here. You want to make sure you give him the right uh, designation. But we've been talking a lot about um, some of the things that we need to do as far as uh, t- uh, taking care of ourselves as we get older and some of the facilities, some of the things that are happening. And family involvement is critical. We hear that over and over and over again. I know just from personal experience, um, um, the more you show up, you could just tell that your loved one is getting more care. The nurses know you. They know that you're patient. Um, you can actually help out. And, and Keith brought up a great point is actually maybe you're getting involved in a little bit of the care. Maybe help with the bathing. You actually get to see maybe what's going on if, if there are some uh, physical issues. And maybe be involved in helping out and seeing what you guys can do. Work as a team, basically. Um, so anyway, Keith, yeah, give us a little more information about that. So you want to talk a bit about maybe what we could do ahead of time, I think, right? right? Some of the pre-planning so to speak which is my life so i'm glad you're joining in on that because it's really important no it, it, and, and you, you mentioned the word team right and, mm-hmm. and part of the team on a proactive standpoint from a st- proactive standpoint is making sure that you're talking with your uh, family members as they get older so it's a sort of a two-fold plan right it's what are you doing for yourself and what are you doing for your aging parents uh and the the hardest conversation had always been, right, uh, do you have a will? And everyone was sort of like, okay, well, if my parents have a will, then we're all okay. And what we now know is that's not enough anymore, mm-hmm. right? And Definitely not. The team that you need in place today, given the way our healthcare system is structured, uh, given the complexity of healthcare, is you need a financial planner, and you need an estates uh, and trust attorney, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And why do you need those two? Well, I'll start with the attorney first, is they're going to help you prepare the necessary legal documents you need, which is not just the will, but things like who the power of attorney is going to be, right? who the healthcare proxy is going to be. Because typically the default is, oh, it's my spouse. Well, if you're dealing with mom, and I'm going to use mom because statistically mom is the one who gets left behind, right? We have, right, they outlive right, us. They outlive <laughs> us, uh, and nursing homes are full of women, right? It's predominantly right. You know, a female populated in your long-term skilled uh, right. facilities. Right. So with that, we... Uh, what happens is, you know, dad is no longer around. Mom doesn't have a healthcare proxy. She doesn't have a power of attorney. Or even if she did, she named, you know, dad. Right. So now it falls on the kids. And now you're getting into a scenario where 
you know, what is the relationship between the siblings? What are the siblings' financial interests in whatever estate they think mom has? And many times the siblings have no idea what uh, is in the estate. What is the Medicare or Medicaid lien? Meaning, you know, if there are any assets in the state, uh, estate, what has to be paid back for the financial assistance? assistance they've received from the government, right? Mm -hmm. So there are all these unanswered questions. So one of the uh, most important things to do is to have the conversation within the family and to make sure that your family member and for your own uh, future planning is that you have a conversation with an attorney, right? An estate and trust attorney. The other thing that's important is the financial aspect, which is given what your retirement savings are as you plan for retirement in the future, as well as for your elderly parents, what is their current state, and then what's going to happen with their estate, right? Because you know, once you get into that area, you know it is incredibly complicated when you start dealing with Medicaid, Medicare. Right, repayment obligations. Uh, so it's important that you have someone who is knowledgeable not only about financial investments, but understands the interplay with government obligations, uh, and that the person managing the finances is communicating with your attorney who's preparing the legal documents. And that's why I really approach, and we at Schaeferman approach, the team Right, that Absolutely. we're talking about the individual and the kids and the financial planner, uh, as well as uh, the lawyer, so that everyone is really on the same page as to what's going to happen in each one of these events. The reality is, these are very difficult right, conversations, and buried in these conversations is a lot of family history, right, and a lot of tension, right, and. So it's important that you find someone who's experienced and that you properly vet the attorney and the financial planner to make sure that they have the experience and that they've dealt with uh, not only these particular issues, but then also the family issues that can arise, because sometimes that can be the real impediment. The issue isn't paying the attorney. The issue isn't finding uh, the financial planner. It's finding the right one for your family, and then your family sort of working through whatever issues are preventing them, right? Because there's always someone who's going to say, I don't want to do it, or not today, tomorrow, right? And at some point in time, tomorrow becomes today, but we haven't planned for it, right? Yeah, that, that's a big problem because I think a lot of times people just put this off saying, oh, they'll deal with it when the time comes. And that is the worst possible way to do this. I mean, and I think sometimes we see... Um, uh, people that are in the, you know, getting ready to really seriously think about that, you know, getting older, maybe their fifties and sixties saying, Hey, I got to address this. Sometimes them don't want to address it, but you have to really keep in mind that if you don't make those decisions now, somebody else is going to make those decisions later. And sometimes it can be very counterproductive. Like you'll have siblings arguing over things. Um, you'll have, 
uh, you know, it's it's not a good way to do things because you even if you if, if it's if it's a tough decision for you now on your own, it's gonna be a much harder decision for the family as a group to try to come to some resolution if you're not involved in that decision making process. And so I really think it's critical, uh, you know, that you kind of bring that forward and really kind of put that to bed. And and you can always change it later. Sometimes people get concerned that well, if I make these decisions now and I decide later, maybe I don't like something about what I just did. You can always update these things if you feel your situation has changed a little bit. Um, but really, the important thing is do something, do whatever you feel is best now and get all this stuff set aside because God forbid something happens sooner than you expect because we never know when we might end up in one of these facilities. We, we could be prematurely admitted for some reason. We could be in an accident of some kind or so we could, you know, we could, um, you know, have some type of um, disorder that maybe puts us in this facility in our 50s. I mean, it right. does happen, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I have never met uh, a person, whether a client or through my work with the New Jersey State Nurses Association, whoever says, when I get sick or when I pass, I would really love it if my estate went to lawyers fighting over what I worked my whole life for, or I really hope that my hard-earned money goes to the government to repay some sort of Medicaid, Medicare lien, right? right? No one ever says, when I die, I want my money to go to the government, or I want my money to go to attorneys to fight over who should get what's ever left over after the attorneys are done because my children can't agree on what the will should say or who should have gotten what. So you can take a good deal of that money at a much reduced cost and you can hire that team, right, and have those difficult discussions. But in having those difficult discussions, everybody will be on the same playing field. They'll know what to do when those circumstances arise and the family will be better equipped. And you as an individual who will be the one in need of the care can have more confidence in that you will receive better care because the money and the legal documents will be there to help protect you. I agree. Another thing I've heard, just to throw in with with your comment there, is another thing I've heard is once somebody, like, kind of, some people kind of begrudgingly going into this process, I don't really want to do this. Okay, finally, I'm going to go do it. Typically, there's another life event that happens, right? Like somebody they know dies or somebody they know gets the situation. Hopefully, that's not what triggers it for you. But but once they do finally do it, a common comment, I guess, wow, I wish I'd done that a long time ago because it kind of takes that back stress off you, that stuff that you never really realized that you had on your back because now it's done. Right. Now you've got something in place. You know that if somebody needs to act on your behalf in a medical situation, you've got somebody that you feel confident about that can help you make medical decisions, can talk to the doctors, can can arrange your finances in a way that this stuff gets taken care of. It make, it takes a huge pressure. People don't realize they're walking around with this pressure because they're like just putting it off, putting it off. But once you do it, this, that's gone now. Right. And, and, and you feel better about it. And so does your family, frankly. Absolutely. Because the alternative is you may have a judge deciding what's going to happen to you. And you're going to have lawyers uh, representing different family members uh, who are going to have a say. Right. And the best way to circumvent all of that is to have the say yourself and put it in the legal documents. Right. And to express it to your financial planner with the lawyer. Right. So that 
you know that when you get sick, this person's going to make your healthcare decisions. This other person, or maybe the same person, is going to make uh, your financial decisions. Yeah, you right? bring up an interesting point. Some people think one person has to do all of this. You can absolutely have a, one person do medical decisions, another person handle financial decisions. Because you may have, you know, like a compassionate, you know, son or daughter that you feel wonderful, going to make the right, knows what you like and right. don't like in a medical situation. But then it may not be the person you feel comfortable with handling the finance. It may not be the finance person. You can separate all these pieces right. the way you feel necessary. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have one son who's a doctor <laughs> and you've got one son who's a financial planner, right? You could have one be your healthcare right. proxy because they know the medicine, and the other right. person could be your uh, your power of attorney on the financial issues because they understand the finances. Right. right. You can tailor uh, many of your wishes to your personal situation, and again, right, that's the benefit as opposed to going through the court system um, after you've passed, or when worse yet when you've become incapacitated and can't make those decisions yourself, and now you have people being appointed for you to make those decisions, uh, isn't, a, isn't a good use of your resources, and it's not a good use of sort of the judicial system right. itself. There are you're, not get, you're probably not going to get the, the best result either, unfortunately. Absolutely. So, all right, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. We'll talk a little bit more about things that we can do to make uh, our uh, later years a little bit better for ourselves and for our loved ones. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with Keith, Keith Hovey. He is an RN as well as an attorney at Schaeferman, and we're talking about uh, what to do as far as from a medical as well as a legal perspective. Um, as we age, we may end up in a, um, a long-term care facility or assisted living facility, um, and unfortunately, sometimes things don't go well. Um, as Keith had mentioned, uh, about 1 in 10 Elderly people are abused in one way, shape, or form. It could be financial, it could be physical, it could be neglect. Um, and so we want to make sure that uh, if that comes up, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we might do if we suspect? We go in, we, we're helping to wash our loved one, maybe as taking your advice, coming in, being involved in the care, and we notice that just does, something doesn't seem right, that, that wound is not healing, or maybe you see an injury or something that doesn't look right, or maybe they're not acting the way that you expect. You just find something doesn't seem right. So what do we do next? Right. So the... Uh the potential uh, options that you have as a family member or as an individual who's been abused or neglected in an assisted living facility or a long-term skilled nursing uh, facility or nursing home is really one of four. And that is criminal, administrative, consumer, and civil litigation, right? So let's sort of talk, the criminals is an obvious one, right? You come in, you see uh, a healthcare professional striking your family member, or you see uh, a broken arm that you're told only occurs by uh, you know, twisting the arm in an unnatural way that's consistent with uh, abuse, right? Mm -hmm. That's the easy one, right? That's a call to the local law enforcement. It's a, um, a report to the potential the Department of Justice, which is federal, or uh, your attorney general's office in your state, 
uh, for state law enforcement, right? And if it's immediate, obviously, just as if your house was on fire, you call 911 and you, know, you have an investigation done criminally. Uh, the other option you have is administrative. If you think there is abuse and neglect of a family member, you can report that to uh, state licensing boards. Assisted living facilities uh, and long-term skilled nursing homes, just like hospitals and urgent care centers, are licensed in uh, each state. So you can report abuse and neglect to your state's respective Department of uh, Health mm -hmm. to report that to the license, and hopefully there would be some sort of inspection that would occur as a result. And you can even request a follow-up to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm filing this complaint. I'm going to be following up in several months uh, just to make sure that you stay on top of any potential abuse. There's also... Individual uh, healthcare professionals have licenses. So, nurses, health aides, physicians, right? all of these different healthcare professionals are and should be licensed with the state. You can report the individual practitioner to the extent that you believe there is a specific practitioner, you can report them to their respective licensing boards, and those licensing boards should be conducting an investigation as to that individual in response to an individual complaint. Realize an administrative complaint, much like a criminal complaint, doesn't put any money in your pocket, right? There is no discipline of a physician, a nurse, or a nurse's aide where at the end they come out and they give you a check. What happens is that person's license may be, there might be a reprimand, there might be a revocation of the license or a suspension, but that's all administrative. Nothing, right. no tangential benefit comes to the victim. The same way in a criminal, right, it's to punish the perpetrator. It's not to make whole the individual. So how do we make whole the individual? Well, there's, you know, there's two options. There's one, your consumer complaint. You can reach out to the entity as a consumer, um, raise your concerns with them and see if there's uh, some sort of agreement you can come to. You can report them to the Better Business Bureau. Um, there's, uh, uh, you know, some people choose to vent on social media. As a lawyer, I usually recommend against that because there's potential issues with uh, defamation lawsuits, and you don't want to uh, expose yourself to liability when you're trying to correct what you perceive as a wrong. Right? Yeah, that might be hard to do. So you got to be careful, right? Absolutely. People, people tend to like let their emotions out on social media. In this case, you want to be careful, right? Absolutely. You don't want to create liability for yourself when you're trying to uh, address an injury that you believe happened to your family member. And then there's a the last issue, which is the area that I deal a lot with, which is the civil litigation, which is now you're talking to a lawyer, and hopefully it's a lawyer that specializes in dealing with elder abuse and litigation involving elder abuse, right? It's different from your typical slip and fall motor vehicle, right? This is a highly specialized complex litigation. And why do I say that? It's because you're dealing with license issues, you're dealing with you know, some medical malpractice, you're dealing with contracts issues because a lot of long-term skilled facilities have arbitration agreements and what's the impact of the arbitration agreement. 
Uh, there is some slip and fall because a lot of these lawsuits are the result of indi individuals falling at these skilled nursing facilities because mm -hmm. they're poorly supervised or the safety precautions aren't in place. So, you know, long-term uh, skilled uh, care and litigation involving those facilities is really a bunch of different areas of law sort of merging in one, right? You've got your contracts, you have your slip and fall personal injury, you have your medical malpractice, you have administrative law issues because you've got licensing of all these individuals that I just mentioned before, and knowing how to investigate those and the regulations that govern these entities and individuals. So with that, you know, in that scenario, you're dealing with a lawsuit, and that's where you're getting or seeking compensation from the court uh, or by way of a settlement from the facility for the injury caused to your family member. Well, that's excellent. I mean, that's excellent. So, I mean, so what do you, I mean, just as general, I, I know you, you're involved in litigation. So what, if you can kind of give us um, maybe things people look for, I mean, I just, I kind of threw some things out that I might see, you know, I see some, so what are some signs you've seen like loved ones might notice, right? Sometimes right. some things they've seen out there and say, wait, I don't, I don't like the way this account was balanced or I don't like the way this happened. What, I mean, what do you typically see? Right. It's common, I guess. So common areas that you see are, uh, unexplained injuries, wounds that don't heal. Uh, a common one which you know people generally associate with nursing homes, but if your loved one has constant odor of whether it's you know bowel movements and you see them not being you know uh, you find them soiled on a regular basis, whether it's uh, fecal or urine uh, rashes uh, in the genital area, uh, bruises. Um, unexplained falls, uh, you know, head injuries, anything like that, that when on a regular basis, when you go in there, all of a sudden you're seeing sort of these status changes, okay. right? And, uh, you know, that's why, again, we go back to sort of the family's key, right? You know, our best cases as lawyers are when uh, unfortunate things happen to people whose families are involved because those families sort of have a running log they know what their family member was like and then they know the differences so should they do things like keeping notes and maybe taking photographs of things they see maybe documenting things if they think there's a suspicion of something happening absolutely okay. right if you see a, a wound or an injury right the question should be is are you not only documenting it to the healthcare professionals but are they taking a photograph and if they're not you know you should be if you, especially if you're the healthcare proxy right if you're the individual responsible for making the healthcare decisions and you see a wound and all of a sudden it's now two, three, four weeks later and you know you find it unsatisfactory, which it should be, that there hasn't been a wound consult or that there's a wound consult, but yet the wound's not getting any better. You know, what are they doing to tr improve to make sure that your family member uh, is getting better and improving, right? Right. And those are the the types of things that you want to be engaged in, right? There's you know no harm in being you know more active, particularly as a family member and the healthcare um, proxy, is to making sure that you're monitoring the progress. 
Absolutely. Keith, I really appreciate coming on today and talking about this an extremely important area um, that we're all going to have to deal with at some point in time, either directly or indirectly. Um, so we really need to be knowledgeable about that. And the, and the fact that, I mean, a couple keys here. One is, you know, you really got to plan for this stuff ahead of time, financially, as well as legally, making sure you have all the necessary documentation in place so that your wishes are met when the time comes and the action can be taken that you need. And really to monitor and keep an eye on your loved ones, stay involved. The more family participation, the more you're engaged the better the care that everybody is going to get um, and the better the uh, the outcomes are going to be and uh, it's definitely an important area that we all need to be careful of and, and pay attention to uh, once again uh, i'm kurt baker and i can be reached um, uh, at 609-716-4700 our website is www.cwmi.us our facebook page is facebook.com forward slash master your finances you can listen to this podcast as well as all of our podcasts at masteryourfinances.us uh, remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.